Welcome to the Life as an Observer podcast. My name is Ryan Bean. I am your host in self-observation. This podcast is an exploration of physical and non-physical self through discussion around yoga, meditation, self-improvement, self-realization, and practices that elevate the mind-body-soul connection. Let's start observing. This episode of Life as an Observer is made possible by patron support. If you'd like to support this program, you can visit patron.podbean.com backslash life as an observer to learn more. Today I'm meeting with my friend, Crystal Palacio, and we're going to chat a little bit about some of the stuff that she's done in her military service, but really more about what's happened after her military service. I'm coming to you from outside because it's another one of those scorching days here in southern Utah, and it's kind of nicer to be outside. So before we jump into the conversation with Crystal, it's really we're going to talk a lot about alternative healing modalities, um, some of the things that she's doing with uh, cleaning of water and just getting involved outside of what the military offers. It's a really beautiful experience, especially if you're a veteran and you're curious and looking for alternative healing modalities with visionary veterans, or if you're saying, hey, I've I've experienced some of this, but now what? Well, before we jump into that conversation, I want to talk to you a little about some of the things that I'm doing. Now, hopefully, really, really soon, my TED Talk should be available uh, entitled The Language of Breath. Yes, it's part of the the philosophy of the language of breath collective and I'm trying to uh, get that out so as soon as I can I had to give them a few references and some peer-reviewed journals to make it legitimate but as soon as that's out you'll get it um, it'll be uh, probably part of a newsletter if you're not on that newsletter jump on my link below it's for my popple landing page I actually give everybody a discount to popple if you click on that page you'll see it at the top of the landing page um, a little discount to join it. It's the best digital business card I've ever used. And no, they're not a sponsor. Not yet. Maybe they'll listen to this here and realize that, hey, maybe I should be because um, I talk about Popple all the time. I love it. And I think it has been one of the best tools, not only for this podcasting business, but the stuff I'm doing with breath work and retreat leading and even just to be a an affiliate for some of the products that I do love, like the ones from Hemp Lucid. You've heard me talk about these before. Popple has been the best way for me to share that information and to capture leads. If you're looking to, to gain more uh, emails for your emailing lists or to, to find ways to have really this um, call to action within your business card, Popple is the way to do it. Um, I think that my, my discount link gives you a few percentages off your first purchase, but really they're only like 20 bucks to buy this thing and it will change your business forever. Again, this is not a paid advertisement. I just love them. So let me tell you a little bit, some of the things that I'm doing. Um, I know I have a few retreats coming up. I have a few Wim Hof methods coming up and you can find those just by kind of going onto that landing page, but also wimhoffmethod.com if you are interested in seeing some of that, uh, especially if you're in the Southern Utah or near Las Vegas area, that's basically where I reside most of the time. Um, I have a couple of retreats coming up at our good friend Flanagan's, um, but really the ones that I want to jump ahead to, I do have a, I'm going to be up near Anchorage and Seward, Alaska uh, next month between the 7th and 12th of June if you're around. Um, message me or come find me. Now you can see some of the events I'm doing. I'm doing three um, and you can find that at hormetichealing.com. I'm going to go ahead and share that link for Hormetic Healing um, so you can join those retreats. I think it's only like $30 a class and you can come and get in some cold water with me. You can breathe with me and maybe do some sound therapy. It's going to be a great thing. 
when I get back from the 22nd to the 25th of June, um, I'm going to be at Summer Revival. That is our euthanogenic church here in Utah, and it is a mushroom church, if you will. And I'm going to be uh, facilitating breathwork, silent disco style, two nights on Friday and Saturday night. And of course, being a part of all things yoga and speaking and talking about our, uh, really our First Amendment protected right to um, practice our religion without uh, without worrying about the legalities of it. So uh, I'd like you to maybe put that on your calendar or just check out the uh, Divine Assembly. It's a great place for those resources. Um, in July, I'll be at a, a clinician retreat in northern Utah near Park City. Sorry, as the wind picks up here, you might be hearing it on your end, but we're outside today. Um, oh, before that, let me talk about San Diego. So I'm going to be down in San Diego um, over the 1st of July, 1st and 2nd. If you're interested in joining me there, I'll be at Joy Wellness doing ketamine-assisted breathwork, or ketamine breathwork, I guess is what we're calling it. And uh, you're welcome to join. I can give you the information about how to meet me in San Diego. I'll be in Park City the 7th and 8th doing a clinician training for ketamine breathwork. And then I'm back to Las Vegas on the 15th of July to do a Wim Hof Method at our friends Vibe 28 and IMR Float. Now after that, the week after, I'll be in Colorado at the Language of Breath teacher training in Silverton, Colorado. That, that one is particularly, well, it is closed. It's closed. We're totally full and sold out on that one. But you can join for the 2024 session if you'd like. Um, you can find that information at languageofbreathcollective.com and sign up for the 2024 training. Now, I'll tell you, the online training is still available, not to be a teacher, but to be a practitioner. And you can join that. I have a, a link in the bio um, or the show notes about how to join the Language of Breath training. I'm doing so. This is the first step um, in ketamine breathwork. So you have to take the Language of Breath first, and then you take the ketamine breathwork training after that. So that link is below if you're interested in getting into working with psychedelics or breathwork. It's a great way, and I offer a discount code to my listeners. It is Ryan50 at checkout, and you're going to get 50 bucks off that training, making it, I think, $350. So really great training for seven weeks with, uh, with myself and Jesse Coomer is who leads that uh, primarily. Uh, the week after that, I'll be at the Psychedelic Conference in L.A. I would love to see you guys if you're heading down to L.A. and you want to chat with me about psychedelics, academy, or if you're interested in breath work, I'm happy to chat with you about that. And, and then I may, I applied to speak at FloatCon in August. We'll see if that happens. If not, I'm looking to head up to Montana or somewhere to get out of this heat. So we'll see what happens because um, right now it is entirely too warm in southern Utah and I'd like to get out of Dodge. So lots happening, um, including the release of my two new journals. So if you haven't seen them yet, uh, if you don't follow me, get on my mailing list. All you got to do is go to the Popple page and give me your email address and you'll get on the page. I'm going to be sending out a newsletter shortly, but I have just released two journals. One is for breathwork and one is for psychedelic trip reporting. They are both available on Amazon under just my name, Ryan Tyler Bean, and you can look for breathwork log and journal, and also the uh, psychedelic trip report and journal. Um, they're both about 120 pages of just really immersive content, allowing you to really get in the right mindset for both those sessions and to document it properly, and that's what's most key. I'm really excited about these books because there's really nothing else on the market that is uh, like them. And uh, they're similar, but not like what I've put in there. And there's, you know, little quotes each day to 
kind of keep you motivated for your breath work and a little drawing pages on the psychedelic one. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, they're pretty affordable and they're on Amazon. I will put the link in the notes as always. Um, hopefully that works to, so you can find it and order your copy. I will tell you, these are the preface to me um, releasing my kids' books. So if you're interested, if you have kids out there, you know somebody who could use some mindfulness with their children, I'm offering some kids' books in the very near future, which I'm going to be releasing on Amazon also, at least until maybe a publisher likes them and wants to pick them up, and then that would be a, me manifesting something that I really, really want. Um, but for now, I'm self-publishing them and putting them on Amazon. These are the SS Meditation Journeys, and they'll be on the Amazon Marketplace within the next couple of weeks. So um, if you're at all on Amazon, you'll see them there, and I'll put a link also in the bio for that. So uh, today we're going to meet with Cl uh, Crystal Palacio. Crystal is a friend of mine that we've been working together with uh, with visionary veterans. She's a former, uh, she's an Army veteran, and uh, got out with a military uh, as a, a disabled discharge uh, for mental health reasons. And she is opening up to us today about why that is and how that happened after 16 years of service, and some of the stuff that she's been able to accomplish post leaving uh, the military and kind of the journey that she's been through with helping veterans and giving back for especially for mental health awareness. And I think this is really an important topic because I, I too suffered from this and was too ashamed to really talk about it. So no one knew that I was dealing with some mental health issues. Um, I'll share this in vulnerability, but I, I was uh, living a facade of a life that I am not really who it wasn't really who I am, which included massive amounts of drinking, partying, and really uh, disassociating from my life. And I did not have the transition assistance that I wanted or could have used. And so Crystal has been really kind of the epicenter for helping veterans in this transition process. And I'm just really grateful that, that she, the work that she's doing, especially that she's doing with, you know, and giving back to not just veterans, but veterans giving to others with her um, uh, Waves of Water project and some other, I think it was, she talks a lot about this and how they're giving these filters to others to, to be able to, to clean their own water. And it's, it's just really, really neat. Uh, not only that, but just uh, with, with visionary veterans and some of the ways she's trying to raise money and to trying to get veterans the help that they need. So without further delay, I'd like to introduce you to my friend Crystal from Visionary Veterans. Um, enjoy the podcast. This one's about an hour and a half long. We talk about a lot of things from transitioning to um, where we're at now and what are the next steps and also some of the events that she's up to. So enjoy the podcast and I'll see you on the next Life as an Observer. Hi, Crystal. Thanks for joining me today. Hey, Ryan. It's good to be here. So I don't really know where you are right now. Tell me what part of the country are you in? I know you've been, you've had a few moves and you have even one coming up, but where are you at now? Um, currently I am in San Antonio, Texas. San Antonio, okay. But you might've been in New Mexico probably. Is that where you were? Uh, no, sorry, you're breaking up a little bit. Um, prior to this, I was in North Carolina for about mm -hmm. 10 years. Okay, North Carolina starts with an N, not New Mexico, North Carolina. <laughs> I would have there loved New Mexico. I live really close, but I don't usually get over there. Um, I, the only time I've gotten in through New Mexico is when I go through the Four Corners. 
And I'm actually getting ready to do that in July, which is pretty cool. Um, I'm going to go over to the lower part of Colorado. And to get there from where I live in southern Utah, you have to go through the Four Corners. And it's kind of an interesting um, journey through the four points of the states, even though they all look the same pretty much. <laughs> Arizona, New Mexico, Utah, and Colorado, where they meet in that four corner part on a, on a reservation. It really, they all look the same pretty much, but um, so it goes. So you're in San Antonio and um, I know that you're supporting your partner here on his uh, uh, military journey, but you've had your own military journey current, you know, and, and yeah. now, we're, now you're off into civilian life, but still supporting veterans. And that's yeah. kind of what I, what I wanted to chat about today. Um, because uh, at least from my own military journey, I felt as though I got out very unprepared mm. for what was next for me. And I don't know if you have the same sentiment for me, but you served how many years in the army? Uh, almost 16. It's like 15 years and eight months by the time I got out. Ugh. 15 years. You were almost and said nope this is not where i'm at i did i was i did 10 and i was ready to get out too and people said why didn't you want to retire why didn't you stay in and we all have our many many reasons why we just decide to to depart for the you know be prior to to retirement right but um tell me what your transition out of the out of the army was like for you for me it was just like a quick couple days and i felt like i was not ready to to face the real world after that i was i was still not ready yeah, um, it was really tough for me, actually. Uh, I did definitely did not feel ready. I mean, being in for that long, you know, my goal was to serve 20 years. And I actually medically retired. Um, and it was for mental health reasons. Um, uh, I think, like, my actual paperwork had about five main things. And then there was, like, 36 additional, like, mm. things going on. I mean, there was just a lot. I had really put you know, mind, body, spirit through the ringer during my service um, to the point where, you know, I just kind of, at the time, I didn't really understand what was going on. I was like, you know, I don't know if I'm depressed. I don't know if it's my ADHD. I don't know, you know, if this is burnout. Um, but really, I have been like burning the candles at both ends for so long. And I was just so depressed that I was like very suicidal and just couldn't do my job at the time. Um, and I was actually about to go out on my sixth deployment when I had to raise my hand and say like, Hey, like I can't do this. And I think I need to talk to someone. And that was probably one of the hardest things to do. Just, you know, like one ego, <laughs> um, two, you know, like having to like be responsible for your teammates. Um, and then to not go forward with them, but also to know that like, I would never want to be a liability. And, um, I really had to like swallow my pride and just be like, I, this is not going to work. Um, and so I didn't know that doing that was going to be the beginning of me getting out of the military. Um, I had um, a lot of addiction issues at the time and being a medic and, you know, holding on to narcotics and things like that. As soon as I said I had an addiction issue, like, you know, I wasn't able to do those things. As soon as I said I was suicidal, I wasn't able to have any weapons or go down, you know, go even go to yeah. the range. So all of those things make you un like non-deployable. And within the military, like the whole job is readiness. Like, can you go out of the door? Um, and so I started seeing a mental health professional within the military. And um, 
that's when they're like, oh, you know, you're, you know, have like major depression. I think you're an alcoholic and all of these things are going on. They started giving me a bunch of medications. And what I didn't realize at the time was that once you actually start going to therapy, it just kind of like starts to muddy the waters and all the things that you had been repressing and, you know, not dealing with, like, then you're actually going to have to deal with it. And then having to do that while in the military was just uh, really hard. And I also didn't know that drinking while anti on antidepressants <laughs> wasn't a good mix. And no, no, that's not usually <laughs> the best combination of therapy necessarily, but... Um, did they, yeah. did you, did you, did you find that the, your, your therapy sort of opened your eyes to what was actually really happening or did, were you still, still sorting through that? Because, you know, when, when I, when you, when some people go into therapy, they're like, I did not realize that I was even doing that. Um, and it's brings uh, yeah, maybe that's maybe there is something called PTSD that I didn't realize that I had. Did, did you find that therapy brought that to light or were you sort of still kind of in denial at, uh, about what was happening? I, it was so early on. I was definitely like in denial, uh, lots of resistance, lots of just like, just very unaware and disassociated, you know, like I had been in the military at that time for, you know, maybe 14 years. And so I had a very like, you know, I have a super strong mindset and, you know, anything that is like weakness is, you know, like you just don't deal with it and you just kind of, you know, you, you drink and you cope and you party and you don't really talk about things and you just suck it up and drive on. Right. And then it's like, oh, what, you can't suck it up anymore. Like what's wrong with you? Um, and so I definitely wanted to try to like fix myself. But at that point, I was just like too tired, you know, that whole like sick and tired of being tired. Um, adage. And so it did open my eyes up a lot to just the power of vulnerability and honesty. Like, I just like started just, you know, being honest about what was going on. Because like, you know, at first, it's like, oh, you, you go on a deployment, and you do these like post deployment health assessments. And they ask you like, you know, how much do you drink? And how are you feeling? Do you ever have these kinds of like thoughts? And you know the game and so you know exactly what to say that you don't like raise any red flags right once again right. you just carry on so for like once i was actually just honest and uh it was really amazing to just see like one like the weight that lifted as much as that also muddied up waters but then um when i actually like accepted that maybe i do have a drinking problem when finally they were like hey you know you're not getting better and if you're not getting better um you're probably gonna have to leave the military and that was like a big, I felt very disillusioned and angry where it's like, okay, I come to you and I say I have an issue. And then you're just saying like, Hey, if you're not on this timeline, like, get out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was really like disillusioned at the time. Um, but in that, like breaking down of, you know, everything I had known and in that just opening up, it actually like gave me the freedom at the time. I didn't see it, but I, I think I was like, just at my wits end with everything that I just kind of leaned in to the radical honesty and to the vulnerability and just kind of realizing like, you know, um, so I actually ended up doing like a month of inpatient rehab while in the military to just kind of mm -hmm. stop drinking. And cause I was like, I don't want to just go to a class and watch a PowerPoint with a bunch of other 
people for like a substance abuse thing. I was like, I want to actually like put me in a place where I don't have the opportunity to do these things. And um, it was actually a really great program. Um, They came at it from a multiple like use. So like actually having like a um, psychiatrist that looked at all the different medications you had been on um, while having like an occupational therapist, while having like a counselor and also, you know, it was in a hospital. So you're able to get like all these different scans and things done. So I was actually really lucky I did that. And it include it introduced me to AA and NA. And I remember being in an A in an NA meeting and um, me and my battle buddy, this girl that I, you know, we had a lot of similarities with we were talking about this theme of like, you know, I feel like I'm still looking for my rock bottom, you know, like Mm. you just where you're being like very self-sabotaging and you're just kind of like, how much further do I need to go? And the thing I loved about NA is these old timers that are just like, sweetheart, like you're there, like drugs, institution or death, like, well, guess what? This is an institution. And he gave me this like bit of knowledge that really was like, a great insight where he said, you hit rock bottom when you stop digging. <laughs> and I was like, oh, and it made me think about that, like idea of like having agency. Like if you're just looking through a rock bottom, you're constantly putting yourself in these situations and that victim mindset and all of these kinds of like ideas. Or if you're just like, okay, you know what, this is it. Like you're there. Like now, how do you actually pull yourself out of it? Isn't that kind of like a law of attraction, like base principle, right? Though, like if you're if you're looking for something that's called rock bottom, you're gonna you're gonna keep looking and looking, and, and you know, and that's where you're gonna look. And if you just accept where you are in this present moment, then you can actually change your path or your direction from here. Keep digging, and yeah, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for it to be get even worse, or you can actually look for it to to be better, right? Exactly. And, and I. I you know, I, I, I don't want to point fingers or blame, but I, I find that the system itself sort of intuitively wants us to to go into that space that you're talking about that says, you know, be kind of numb to the things around us. I know, I know from my time of deployments, is it was like, you know, we're almost told to not have feelings in a way. I mean, yeah, you can have feelings mm-hmm. and emotions, but but in a way it was like, that's the enemy and this is us and that's way over there. And we're going to go over there and we're going to take care of some stuff and we're going to come back victorious. And there was just like this mentality, especially for me, I was in Somalia uh, during a pretty, pretty heavy time. And um, I think we both did, did a few deployments in, in some, in some of the areas, which we call the sand traps or, you know, <laughs> and, and, and there was just sort of this like us against them mentality, which in a way kind of made us at least made me feel like an elitist. And then here I was, yeah suffering with my own mental health saying, well, yeah. hold on, I'm not really an elitist. I'm actually kind of, you know, like I'm, I'm kind of part of this system now where I, now I need help, you know? Mm-hmm. And I remember, I remember being um, on a deployment and saying, why am I here? Like, like really what, what we're doing is we're, we're churning the pot or you're shaking the bees nest or whatever, you know, like I always, I felt like that in a few times where I was like, they don't really want us here and we don't really want to be here. And yet we're here, we're here preserving something. Mm-hmm. And we didn't really, I, for me, at least I didn't really understand what I was preserving. I just was following orders. You know, mm-hmm. I was just like, I'm going to go there and do this thing. And then I'll come home six to nine or maybe a year later, you know, just to pay, I didn't know. And in the meantime, when I had a, a moment of reprieve from 
following orders and being scared for my life, we would be in a, in a port or a place where we could have a drink. And that was like, that was the place where we would go to say, I don't have to play that role of, mm-hmm. you know, BDUs and carrying a weapon anymore. I can actually just be a human. And that human interaction most of the time included drinking and included um, debauchery. We'll just say, you know, especially yeah. when, especially when you're an 18 year old, you know, for mm-hmm. me, I grew up in Utah. So you're 18 years old. And I, maybe well, at the time, I guess when I was first deployed, I was 19. And, you know, you can't drink in the United States, but you can in other places of the world. And so guess what? That's exactly what we did, which we had no clue. And I remember, I remember I was a, I was in medicine also. So I remember being a part of shore patrol for a few uh, a few times and people coming back just really super intoxicated because they didn't know their limits, you know? Yeah. And we would do this thing called, um, clam shelling. I don't know if you guys did that in the, in the army or not, but clam, <laughs> uh, clam so. it had a lot to do with Marines and, and sailors. Cause that's what, you know, I was in the Navy, but so clam yeah. shelling when someone would get out of control and we didn't want them to get arrested by the local police, you know, because they were in a bar and, you know, they start mm-hmm. and so we would take the hard, rigid um, stretchers. You know, there were big cages, basically, that chicken wire. And anyway, so we'd handcuff the sides of them with a, with a marine or a sailor inside of it. And it's called clam shelling. And if they got out of line and they wanted to kick or spit at us, we just pick up one end of the, the, the stretcher and drop it. You know? And, and it, was, it was a form of like, yeah, it was, we'll call it a form of like, torture on our our own you know like we were but that's what we were told to do like you know make them pay for what they were doing you know and it was like they're still just learning their ways you know they're 19 20 years old they're acting like an idiot because they're intoxicated whatever for the first or second time in their life and and we were not nurturing that experience we're not saying hey listen man i got you maybe you had a little bit too much let's chat about this i remember giving people um lactated ringers because they were hungover Mm -hmm. right so give them an lr or some sort of saline. And we would sometimes just because I don't know this again, this is what we were told. If they act foolish, put it in their foot that way, you know, and so they have it, you know, and they have to walk around with it or they couldn't walk around at all. And then they would, they would learn their lesson. And so it seemed like it was like, kind of like this angry cycle of have fun, be sort of rewarded for it, sort of be punished for it and then do it again. And until you really came home and you were actually able to decompress um, is when you could actually, I don't know, have your normal life. Now I was in San Diego, which is only, um, you know, a stone's throw from Tijuana. So that's where people would go on their, on their, on their Liberty. So it never really ended. And so it seems like I never really had time to process. We call it debriefing, but we never had time to really process our deployment. We just didn't, it wasn't a, something that we did, you know, you had a debriefing, which was very like professional, but we never had a right. mental, emotional state of debriefing of how we felt after shooting at people, you know, it just didn't, it didn't really come to that emotional level. And I don't know if you got you had a different experience in the army, but uh, we didn't in the Navy at all. Um, I mean, I think with time it's gotten better. Like when I served, um, you know, we were, I mean, I came in in 2002. So like right when like the global war on terrorism was like kicking off. And then pretty much my entire time was just like the op tempo or the operational tempo. Like the, everything was just very, very, like very, very busy. When you weren't deployed, you were coming back and training to deploy. Yeah. And yeah. so um, there wasn't a lot of like downtime and that whole 
let's give people time to um, process their emotions and nurture is not really like part of military culture, right? I think it's like designed for that. But I think with so many different rotations and people coming back, um, you know, you have AARs or after action reviews and you start to see these certain patterns. And it is within the military's, you know, own benefit to have readiness and soldiers that are like ready to deploy and that don't have mental health issues. So they would come up with all these, you know, different programs to try to support the soldier and their families within like a whole holistic way, which is really cool to see it come out. At the same thing though, like, because of the culture, no one's really going to go to those options. You know what I mean? It's kind of like used to have, we used to have like a single soldier, like event or like a uh, military family, like events, you know, mandatory fun events that they like set up, but everyone just goes and we carry like flask in our pockets, you know, (laughs) 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 you get drunk like before, during and after. Um, but yeah, like all of those things, even if they did exist, this culture still remains that you don't, you don't actually like get involved with that. And so even like, that's the thing that sucks. Like there's so many options now I feel as veterans where people want to help and are out there to help. And we have lots of programs in place, but one, you know, just knowing that those things are out there. And then two, for an individual to have the mindset that's going to be open to it. And a lot of times when it comes to like, you know, healing crisis or transformation or anything like that, you typically aren't very preventative with it, right? You kind of wait until like you've hit the wall and you're like, you know, in a very dark place or you're like, you know, about to like get there. Uh, I don't think a lot of times, you know, within the culture, we allow ourselves to think that because, you know, you get a little bit indoctrinated within the military and you have this idea of what a warrior mindset should be like. And I think, because it's gotten so bad um, that there are like, you know, really great initiatives coming like from the grassroots level of people trying to like say, hey, it's okay, you know, to have these kinds of things. But within the military, even if they still try to do that, it's, it's such a disconnect from like, what you need your mindset to be like to be able to deploy versus like, you know, in. and so a lot of times, with this whole like psychedelic renaissance aspect, they're thinking like, well, how do we, you know, maybe can we use psychedelics for soldiers while they're in? So before they even get to these places, could it work? And I mean, that would be really great. But I think sometimes when you get your mind blown open in psychedelics and start to see like the oneness and the interconnectedness of it, it's not really the mindset that you want for soldiers going to war, right. Or going to different places to then start to think like, Hey, we're all one. And, you know, cause like there is this big sense of like otherness, as you're saying, like, you know, we're on this side, we're fighting for freedom. And you see these other groups of people like working contrary to that. So I don't know. Are you, are, are you familiar with the Bhagavad Gita? Are you familiar with yes. that? Okay. So I want to chat Our about Gita that a little bit. Arjuna was a soldier. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to chat about that a little bit. So, so, you know, most of us, at least I didn't, I wasn't meditating when I was in, that was not part of my, <laughs> my daily morning. Now it is, you know, to meditate, do mm-hmm. breath work. And I think that's a really powerful tool that could be incorporated. I actually have a friend of yes. mine, his name is Jesse, and he does a lot of work with the military and with police first responders to teach meditation and breath work as a way to find space between what is thought and what is felt and, mm-hmm. and, and to kind of um, limit some of the reactions you know, this podcast is about being an observer and saying, let's create some space. And 
you know, the Bhagavad Gita starts off, you know, it's, it's, it's beginning chapter is all about this okay. giant battlefield north of Delhi. Arjuna is there and his charioteer. Krishna is there. He's got his bow. He's ready to fight. He's ready to go in. And he takes a moment and realizes that he just can't fight. You know, he just, I just can't do it because he sees what he calls his kinsmen and mm -hmm. his kid, you know, and, and I think it goes on a little bit deeper and says, you know, he sees some of his teachers and his uncles and, but he looked at everybody on this battlefield, which at least in my perception of how big this was hundreds of thousands of people. I mean, it seems like it was a massive battle between two families mm -hmm. who were fighting over land. You know, they were fighting over whose land is this going to be? And he said, I just can't fight. And, you know, those who want to read the Bhagavad Gita, go for it. It's an amazing read. You can read it in an yeah. afternoon or you can do it like me and read it over 10 years and try to figure out the different <laughs> nuances of it and the different stories. But essentially the, the story is it's your dharma, you know, it's his dharma mm -hmm. or his duty to do what he needs to do. And I always felt like that when I was in the military, like whether I like it or not, this is my job and I need to go do that thing because mm -hmm. it's what I'm being asked to do. But the difference is, is Krishna opened Arjuna's eyes to the, to the way things are. He, he gave him these, you know, this spiritual sense of seeing that said, you can see who I am, which was God, you know, you can see this. And to me, I always look at that as sort of Krishna giving him, you know, some mushrooms or giving him something <laughs> and saying, here, dude, open your eyes to the awakening. Here it is. And know that your dharma is your dharma, and and this is it. And he was terrified at first until his eyes were mm -hmm. open. He was terrified, and once his eyes opened, he says, "I see, I see that God is all around me, and all this stuff." And so it kind of goes to what you were saying. It's like I don't know if, if soldiers should get psychedelics, but I would tell you, in a therapeutic setting, at least my belief is, maybe having our eyes open to the way things are would not only help alleviate fear and, and possibly post-traumatic stress, but it could alleviate some of that fear that we have in the amygdala. Our amygdala says, ah, I can't, I won't, I won't. When we realize we're just doing our duty. But on the other hand, we have to weigh it, right? We have to say, yeah. well, that could also could create psychosis. It could, you know, in some, mm -hmm. in some instances, you could have a, you know, soldier, a Marine or a sailor who is, or an airman who creates uh, a psychosis with them and says, no, I gotta, I gotta get out. I can't deal with this. And, I don't know what the process would be to sort of filter that. I would say until it's FDA approved that right. probably none. The only the only one that's FDA approved right now on a federal level is ketamine. And ketamine could be a way to open the spiritual eyes in a way that says, here, we'd like you to experience this and to kind of be a part. I'll tell you that I've had some pretty psychedelic experiences that had nothing to do with chemicals. I had it with fasting when I was deployed. I, I, I just couldn't eat. We, we didn't have the MREs weren't the greatest. And, you know, you had something here and there's something there and I just didn't eat. And I had lack of sleep. I've had psychedelic mm -hmm. experiences from lack yeah. of sleep. I've had um, psychedelic experiences in times of fear where I was feeling so much adrenaline in my body that it propelled me to a, what I would say is an altered state of consciousness. Did you have any of those altered states while you were in, but didn't know that that's what it was? <laughs> um, oh, wow. Let me look back. So I was a little bit of a rebel, that idea of like, you know, the military, I mean, I came in when I was 17, you know? And so like, it's, you know, what I grew up in and there's always been some kind of part of me where it's like, okay, you know, I'm going to do what I need to do at work. And then you're saying like everyone goes offshore and like, 
you know, parties and drinks. Well, I also was always very like curious about everything else. And so there was a lot of um, like recreational use of <laughs> psychedelics at the time, definitely not the right set and setting. Um, but uh, <laughs> I do feel like, you know, my different altered states of consciousness um, not even with like substances, but breath work actually is something that I found a lot of like very surprising like yeah. movement with. Um, but during the military, a lot of it was just honestly like such, such a blur. Um, and yeah, you know, as I was kind of like hitting my wits end at the very end, um, there were just definitely moments where I was very disembodied and I wouldn't see these moments as like good altered states of consciousness, yeah. um, you know, quote unquote good. Um, but really it wasn't until I got out and I had like the freedom and the actual time and the willingness to lean in to try different things. And I think honestly, once I was able to actually experience like an intentional use of psychedelics and altered states of um, consciousness, was like then the catalyst for like um my body to know what it felt like and then so when it came to like non-substances like breath work or things like that where I could kind of just be able to tap in without the use of substances you know we find through some of our research that some of the most powerful altered states happen in the first couple times of doing it so you know if someone is a a perpetual user of, you know, whatever, if it's LSD or whatever, like their, their most profound breakthrough sessions happen to be usually in their first three to four sessions just tends to be, that's the way it is with ketamine, with, with, with psilocybin, with LSD, it just tends to be pretty profound and the first couple ones. And so, um, as, as soldiers, sailors, they, they, they transition from the military, many of them are seeking organizations to help them with that. They've heard about it. They've thought about it. And then maybe they've even grown up in a, in a place where it was sort of demonized. And then, so they're feeling rebellious. I want to do this now for, at least for me, it was like, I'm going to grow my hair long and I'm going to grow a beard. And I'm going to be rebellious yeah. now and I'm going to do some psychedelics. So, and so they, they seek out organizations like, uh, you know, the, I know that there's a bunch of them that travel overseas to, to, to facilitate this because mm -hmm. um, of the FDA not approving them currently. They're all still, a lot of them are still schedule one substances. Um, so they, they travel overseas to do it in different areas. And then there's a lot of folks like the, the organization you're involved with the visionary veterans who offer altered, um, you know, alternative medicines, which we can classify not necessarily as chemicals, but mm -hmm. medicine can be an experience. And I think that's yes. kind of what visionary veterans is doing, but can you talk about some of the um, organizations that propelled you along from going from active duty to veteran in, in that transition to mindfulness and consciousness and sort of learning your path. I know you've, you've worked with several organizations yes. and, then you're, and now you're yeah. a founder of the visionary veterans, but I want to start with like when you first got out and what kind of took you on that path. Yeah, thanks. Um, actually, I really love this subject because um, actually this past month, I just hit my five-year mark of when I got out. And so I've just been um, reflecting on, you know, that long journey. And I think that there's like this quote that's, you know, people overestimate what they can do like in a year and underestimate what they can do in like five years or 10 years. And, you know, there was a lot of like in the beginning, a lot of regret about getting out so close, you know, close, like five years to retirement. 
Um, but I think, you know, the, the amount that I've gained, um, just mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, um, psycho spiritually, like within these past five years is just like, you know, if I would have just stayed in for that period of time, I would have never been able to experience all of these things. And all these things I was able to experience came from different veteran organizations. And, um, what I think is really interesting is they say, you know, like there's not a lot of help for veterans. Um, and maybe, you know, through the government, through the VA, like those kinds of things, it's just such a big bureaucracy that like you can kind of get lost in the shuffle. Um, but what I've seen really is a community of veterans that have like been through it and then started something um, to then help others. So I think that like active service and fellowship and, you know, the brotherhood or sisterhood that you have in the military doesn't die once you get out of service. And so my very first thing I did when I got out, I was actually still like on my transition leave is I got my 200 hour yoga teacher training through a veteran organization called um, Vet Toga. So like veteran and yoga mm -hmm. started by Marine. And one of the things I also really liked was finding organizations that were started by actual veterans and not by like a civilian trying to help a veteran. There's something about that nuance of like, here's someone who's gone through it, coming back to save, yeah. like help others along the way. Then like, here's someone who doesn't maybe understand the nuances as much, you know, it's like very well-meaning and super appreciated, but there is something great about having someone who gets it and then maybe can have like, you know, the jargon and like the references and just that kind of thing. And so started by Marine Justin, and he had gone through like, um, Sri Dharma Mitra's um, yep. program, and then worked with him to come up with an individualized sequence that could be used for any veteran. Um, and it was really great. The iteration that I went through also included like yin and yoga nidra and Ayurveda and just like a whole buffet of all these different kinds. And it was just, I mean, it, it was really great. I had been practicing yoga even while I was in the military and, you know, I was kind of into mindfulness and some of those things um, to just try to help with like regulating throughout. Um, but I really wanted to be able to deepen my practice. And um, I, I got that opportunity through Fatoga and then having your 200 hour then gave me the ability to one, give back to my local community. Cause I still stayed in the, um, the Fort Bragg area. And then two, it gave me an opportunity to have like a baseline so that I could get specialty like certifications and things I was right. really interested in. So after that, um, not a veteran organization, but I got certified in um, Y12SR, which is yoga for 12 step recovery started by Nikki Myers. And it really helped for me to see like the, cause as I had finished um, rehab, and had learned all these different things. I was also thinking like, oh, some of these things they're mentioning sounds like something I had heard in yoga or something that I had heard in like mindfulness. And I think it's interesting that a lot of things that are given in a scientific form or a newer, like, you know, here's a book or a technique, all kind of can get traced back to like something more ancient. <laughs> um, and so it's like, yeah. you start to see these patterns and things. And so the first thing was I did was got my, got my 200 hour. Um, also along that time period, I got a um, scholarship through the David Lynch foundation. He's a, um, a transcendental meditation practitioner okay. that's and director that started a scholarship. And because I had, you know, 
a medical discharge and like all these like, you know, depression, these kinds of things. I was able to get the technique for free. Um, And so it was great to be able to like also have that meditation piece along with my yoga. Um, And then a couple months later, I did a program called the Warrior Scholar Project, which Mm. helps. It's um, also started by Maureen, female vet, and it helps um, service members kind of like learn how to get into higher education if they wanted to. So I went to uh, this Harvard MIT program and it's kind of like a boot camp because they say like, you know, service members have all these different skills, but maybe like aren't as up to date on like study skills and all these different things from the military. So it helps to seat them in and they work with other um, organizations to help people if you want to get into higher learning. Because, you know, you first get out and you're like, oh, I have my GI Bill. Maybe I should get into like, you know, a school and work on a degree and all of these things. What I learned from that program <laughs> was that like, I was not in any place to be able to like start going to school. Like I was so mm-hmm. dysregulated. Like if, you know, cause you go to these veteran groups and I was like, Oh, what's your story? And I had just gotten out. And I still, you know, like was trying to deal with all of these different things. And it's kind of hard to just be like, Oh, I was medically retired, you know, and say all of these, you know, and it was very recent. So I was just like that girl crying in the bathroom. <laughs> like I couldn't write. I couldn't like really pay attention. And um, even though it was a great program, it was great for me to learn that like maybe this isn't the path for me. Um, another veteran organization I did like the year after was called um, the Boulder Crest uh, Retreat. And I think it's known as Boulder Crest Initiative. And what I really liked about that organization is that they um, were all about post-traumatic growth. So it wasn't like, oh, let's, you know, here, let's talk about all the things that like, you know, went wrong with you, but like, let's give you tools and practices. And one of their bedrocks is transcendental meditation as well. And it was interesting was, um, and they'd give it to you for free and it's an amazingly well done and executed program, very well funded. Um, They've like reached out now to like have all these satellite programs across the nation but the woman who taught transcendental meditation for that group was my original TM teacher. Oh, and wow. so that, yeah, it was great. So <laughs> it ended up, it ended up being this like, um, like renewal into the practice because I had it, but I wasn't really practicing that much. And so, I mean, after having, you know, like, um, like yoga teacher training and uh, different like life experiences and just like, you know, really delving more into like my yoga practice, having that like, reintroduction of the transcendental meditation technique and having a community now of like doing that, like really, really was like a catalyst for just my own ownership and devotion to like what a meditation practice can give you. And this retreat I went to was literally January of 2020. So then the pandemic happened and there's not much to do. What do you do? Well, I meditated and, um, yeah, and it was really great because I had this community to do it with. Um, and yeah, like you talk about like altered states of consciousness, this ability to be able to just tap in um, was just, yeah, it was amazing. Um, and are then you familiar know, with, um, are you familiar with um, SN Goenka? Yes, I want to do a Vipassana so bad. Okay. Well, the reason why I. <laughs> bring it up is because there was this um there was a documentary that that was done and it's you can find it on youtube now and it's it's called doing time doing vipassana and it's okay. 
basically it's a basically when SM Goenka, when he came, he went to India, you know, he was, he's a, a forest monk, you know, so he came from over, I believe in uh, Cambodia, maybe, or Vietnam. I'm not forget, forget where he's from exactly, but he came, maybe Laos, one of those South Asian, uh, Southeast Asian countries, but he came to, to India to teach this and he taught it in the prisons in Delhi. Mm. And it's basically this documentary is about him starting with all they would do is like 10 people at first. Cause these are like really, I mean, lifetime criminals, you know? So, so they're teaching that and they, they found some pretty good results and then they expanded it and expanded it to where they had, I forget the number at one point, they had like a thousand inmates in tents doing Vipassana um, yeah. at one point. And, you know, with very few guards, I mean, and, and it was really an interesting thing. And I, it makes me think like, well, couldn't Vipassana, couldn't meditation, couldn't TM be taught to servicemen, you know, mm -hmm. as part of, you know, that, like, I really think that it would be a beneficial thing, even though we're not, you know, we talked about, you know, psychedelics, but altered states of consciousness and meditation to me really fits into yes. that. If you've done right, couldn't that be a way just like, you know, just like Arjuna did, goes into a meditative state before battle. And that was really what he did, you know? And so if that was a top practice, which I know that many militaries around the world do, you know, if you think about, you know, the samurai warrior, you know, back, you know, yes. meditation, we even talk, you know, there's many, many, I would even say that even, you know, many countries who are established militaries have meditation as a practice. And I would love to see that. I'm not, we're not here to talk about how that would actually happen, but maybe, you know, if, if some of the, the, larger more um, dominant militaries of the world offer that maybe we would be less likely to deploy unnecessarily sometimes because we're creating mm -hmm. um, some space between what is thought and what is felt we, we we do a lot of reacting and we do a lot of things that have to do with logic rather than our hearts rather than our thinking mind you know we right we, we just think about it we have to finish this we have to do this but our hearts say something different you know and right. that ability i would to love to see i would love to see that the hearts yeah. yeah. And that's what I felt like TM was able to give me. And also that Boulder Crest post-traumatic growth program was to be, to be able to start to connect and close the distance between the head and the heart, you know, and to be able to like see a mindful movement happen within the military. I mean, it is happening. I think one of the things is, you know, it's a government program, right? In the military. So you can't use certain terms that feel too, you know, um, within one culture or religion or whatnot. So you kind of have to be able to like right, sanitize right, right, right. it. And so I remember one of the terms that I would use, cause I would actually teach back at like um, Swaker, the special warfare center in school to like people going through the, the course. And I would just have to learn how to change the wording to something that would make sense for them. And so something that I had learned um, was a tactical pause, right? Okay. Like before you go, Love it. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So it's like before you go out and like do something like, you know, you take a tactical pause, we kind of check in with your body, you take a breath. And, you know, for military members who are still very much so in a certain mindset, if you start to talk to them about like mindfulness and things like that, sometimes unless they get it, they're going to kind of be like, okay, yeah, sure, whatever. Like, how does this actually help me? But you're just putting those little terminology like tidbits in it. Help. Well, you know, we have we have chapels and we have, you know, chaplains in the military that are offering prayer, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it would be I, I remember being on well, some small boats, very small boats where, you know, the chapel was the size of my van, you know, and you could fit two people in there. But then being on some larger boats like uh, uh, on some aircraft carriers that had space for for worship and for 
and for religion on the boat. And I mean, I think that, you know, different programs, maybe that's something that, you know, maybe visionary veterans can even look into, you know, is, is saying, hey, how can we help active servicemen who are transitioning? Yes. So I know visionary veterans have, you know, including y- yourself, your husband, the, the even like the, um, we have some people who participate in visionary veterans who are in their transition as they came to some yes. of the events. And mm-hmm. maybe that's a place for that early integration. Now, I know that you talked about head and heart connection. I know you've done some stuff to give back has to do with your heart. And I kind of wanted to hear a little bit about that because it's something that I didn't know about you until I started to kind of research what you were doing about with the um, the uh, waves for water. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So waves for water. Can you tell me a little bit about that? So that's really a giving back as a veteran to other communities. And I'd, I'd love for our audience to hear that. Oh, it's an organization I just, I love so incredibly much. Um, so as I was going through, one of the jobs I had in the military was civil affairs. And as I was going through the qualification course for that, one of my buddies, uh, his name is Rob McQueen. He went through the course and he was in, I think, got stationed in the European sector. I was in the Africa sector, but he was on. And so I kind of call civil affairs. Um, it's hard to try to explain but um, I would say like strategic humanitarianism, like you're working with uh, building capacity and <clears throat> of like your local like partner nation. So not just the military, but also finding like civilian counterparts that can help within like a certain objective. And um, a lot of it, <clears throat> so my voice is going. So he was working with a civilian nonprofit organization to help bring water um, to access to water access to different areas in his area of operations where people didn't have it. And a lot of times think people think in the military, you know, it's just very like, you know, major war efforts, you know, phase yeah. five kinds of things, but a lot of it is preventative. And that's why I liked my old job was that like, you know, a lot of maligned actors or like um, violent extremist organizations take advantage of poor um, non-governed areas to then recruit or get access to other places. So if we can get into those areas and help, you know, strengthen them, get connect them to the government, kind of like the head and the heart thing, then you're building resilience within a community and they won't be so susceptible to these like bad actors. And so, you know, basic things like clean water. So he worked with this um, organization started by John Rose, who's a surfer. And the name of the organization was Ways for Water. And it, what I loved about it was it was quick impact Like a lot of water projects I've seen, you know, working through like aid and large scale things is multi-million dollar, like large scale kind of projects that if one thing goes wrong, maybe you can't get a mechanic in there or, you know, like it's very high tech. So to have something with just like very simple buckets that you can, like a five gallon bucket that you can hand drill a hole in and then just bring like a small like piece of filter to introduce it into a system you're providing something that can help maybe not long-term like over like, you know, generations, but that one filter can last for like 10 years if cleaned properly for up to 10 families. And so it's really amazing at the capacity of like one little thing. And so the surfer had one with him and I think he was somewhere in like the Pacific and was on a surfing trip. They're out on the water when like a, uh, like a typhoon or hurricane, something hit and the people on the ground like didn't have like they were just kind of going crazy like you know like there was just 
it's a catastrophe. And he was able to then come back onto the land, bring that filter and provide access for this community to have clean drinking water for some of the medical providers to be able to like sanitize some of their like um, supplies. And from there, he was like, oh, wow, mm. like this small impact can actually, you know, really help out in an area. So he started a cur courier project where people could just, you know, yeah. say, hey, I'm going to this area. Let me buy a bunch of filters and I can help procure, you know, a bucket. It's like universal. So you can find that within the local economy and it's easier to travel with. And then Rob being, you know, just the great entrepreneur that he is connecting the dots. He was like, you know, I feel like our job within like civil affairs and just like military members, like we could really help out with this organization. So he started Clean Water Corps, which is the veterans division of Ways for Water. And the whole thing is like, um, well, the Ways for Water slogan is do what you love and help along the way. So, you know, it'd be a bunch of surfers that are going around and they would just bring water filters with them. It's expanded since then to help with like disaster relief. Um, and then with like Rob and the Clean Water Corps, we've been able to help bring in different veterans with skill sets that still want to be able to serve. And the whole thing is, and I love this, is that this concept of like veterans aren't victims, right? That you can still serve after service. And I think without, I mean, within the veteran community, everyone's trying to help each other, but there is this kind of like underlying idea that it's like, oh, we're like these broken people that need all these like skill sets and help versus like this very empowering, like, hey, you've learned all of these different varying like intangible skills that could help you within like a disaster relief area. So that's something that I've been able to do for the past five years since I've gotten out. So I've been able to go to Costa Rica, Navajo Nation. And then most recently, I just got back from Turkey um, helping with the earthquake survivors um, in that area. And it's just something that even though I was still very lost and feeling very untethered, made me feel like I had this purpose to be able to give back, you know? And um, yeah, service is just one of my core values that no matter what is always really important to me. So whether it's working on a larger scale with like, you know, humanitarian efforts, or it's working within a community for like, you know, meditation or yoga, or doing retreats with visionary veterans, um, yeah, I just feel that my service isn't going to stop with my military service. And that because I've gone through all of these different various things, it actually helps me to be able to have more compassion, empathy, and understand where people are coming from. It takes time to learn that. I mean, it takes, you know, it's not something you can just learn in a transition assistance program, right? You can't just take your taps and then you're out and then you realize that your mission is to be of service. At least for me, I felt that I needed to be in medicine when I got out because that was my only, yes. that was my only purpose in life. Cause that's what I had learned when I was a teenager, I got out, you know, and then I was like, now what, now what do I do to be of service? And I had to re, I had to re like, at least at the time I was like, hey, I have to reinvent myself, but really mm -hmm. that was just my path. My path was to start serve and then, then learn some more. And I, and I've reinvented myself, I don't know, five times, I think since my, you know, different jobs and careers. And, and we learned that, our path doesn't is not always a straight line. Now, oh, for sure. <laughs> and it has pauses, and our journey is not a a to b crazy loop through our life, and we learn to be of service. And I mean, that's fantastic. I, I had somebody on the a podcast, 
maybe about 40 episodes ago and they and they sell those water machines you know that the have the alkaline water machines you know they oh, plug yeah. them in and they're a couple couple grand for these water machines right and they're cool i mean it's great and i, I think that they have benefit to humanity but one of the questions i asked her i said well that's great but what about places who can't afford a couple thousand dollar water machines right. so people who have to hike in miles with water buckets on their head from a clean water yeah. source just you know i said like, what about those people who really need just clean water let's talk about that because that for me oh there you are drinking you i see you were drinking your, mm. your water bottle from waves for water <laughs> um, <laughs> so but then that was kind of my concern was that's great they do these machines i believe that they're an amazing thing but what about someone who doesn't even have two pennies to rub together and it needs clean water i don't think that that is something that we should have as the benefit of you know living in a first world nation i think that all people yes. are have the right to clean water and i love that you're giving back in that way because um that is really the work that i think will help us create allies and we'll have less war honestly i mean what what else i mean something oh, that you yeah. can something that you can do is saying hey now these military veterans or these you know these americans we'll just label it as it is mm -hmm. are coming in here and giving us water we don't hate them as much as we used to you know before it was we hate your concept we hate your kind we don't like that you have money we you know there's and you're always pushing your agenda to serve you and we hope you know that, that we can i mean i'll go on a more spiritual sense but like kind of pushing out the gandhi message you know that my you know, Mahatma Gandhi was asked what his message to the world was. And he said, my mm -hmm. life is my message. And yes. I would I would love the military complex to say, this is our message, not our message of how many, you know, how much we can spend on dropping bombs, not how oh. massive our ships are. But, you know, I was, I had a conversation with my brother. My brother's in the air force. He's an A-10 pilot. Oh, I didn't and know that. Yep. Yeah. Wow. My brother's an A-10 pilot. He's stationed. Well, he was in Georgia and now he's down in Tucson. Um, and he was telling me about dropping bombs over the Nevada test site. You know, I think he had his whole mm. squadron there and uh, the bombs were in somewhere in the neighborhood of a million dollars a piece, something like that. And there was yeah. 18 of them in the squadron and they did, I don't know, 10 sorties in a weekend or something. And I said, do the math on that really quick. Just do the math on how much ammunition you dropped on the, on the naval test site which is not only making that area a radioactive zone, you know, no one can live there. I mean, there's not much there anyway. Let's just be real. So, you know, the Nevada test site is pretty barren land. Area 51's out there and there's some other, you know, areas that are that are there, but essentially it's just scattered and you can't fly over it. You can't drive through it. Um, but think about the money that, that is spent on doing that. What if we were to take even just half of that and apply that to, I don't know, homelessness, hunger, water, just aid in general? And I know that during one of my times, one of my, my um, deployments was to Somalia and the Red Cross was quite predominant in aid, um, relief. They were offering food and offering water and they were offering different, uh, different forms of aid. But the terrorists, that's what we call them, yeah. <laughs> which is what we were told to call them. We're, we're taking that food and, and water and, and, and basically yeah. uh, holding it hostage for the people. And so, that, so that's where the military became involved. So we sort of were supporting the Red Cross. Right. 
um, in, in that way. But I would love to see that it was actually the military offering the aid rather than a third party organization. So maybe one day it'll be, you know, us dropping dropping food and water rather than dropping bombs. That would be amazing and wonderful. Well, we do do that though. We actually do that. Talk about like that. we do. Yeah. Like we do drop food and water and all of these different things in different organizations, like working through different nonprofits or just through the military itself. It's just like those things don't get really brought up as much because it's not as sensational. And that's yeah. why with my last job, I mean, it was really hard for me because I was very like, I was sold on the messaging of what I thought like this job could do, right? Within the military, you know, I think most people that join, it's like this idea of like freedom and serving your nation and spreading like the ideals of democracy to different places. Um, and then you start to see like how that idea versus like on the ground is a little different. And I was very like bought in, sold and passionate about my most recent job in the military when I was um, a medic with civil affairs, because that's what we would do. We would go into different areas and we would find, you know, first of all, just like, what are the actual issues? And that idea of like, okay, we're Americans or that white savior kind of like, here, let us like push our agenda on you. Like it was actually like taught to us in school. Like, you know, you don't want to be the ugly American, actually listen to your partners, find out what the issues are and then see how you can like fit in. And so that's what I love about even working with like waste for water and clean water cores. We apply those those kinds of like the humanitarian um, like ethics of you don't just you have even with like coaching, right? You have to meet people where they're at. You don't just say like, hey, let me just give you these tools that you're not asking for. And so we would do that in our old jobs. And as like a medic, I would help to train like other medics. I would also help to train uh, different militaries on like, hey, this is actually how you like win over the civilian populace um, and these are like the ethics of like warfare there's so much that the military does in a humanitarian sense like you were saying like helping to provide security for different um nonprofits um to be able to provide aid to areas that maybe don't um have the opportunity to to get it and so i mean throughout africa i was able to help bring like malaria medications to mm. underserved, undergoverned areas and actually find hospitals that needed certain kinds of equipment or certain kinds of training to be able to connect those dots. And what I thought was really great about doing that kind of work within the military that I didn't realize it until I got out was you actually feel super supported. Like when you're conducting a mission while you're in the military, there's something that you know in the back of your head is that like you have the might of the military <laughs> like the greatest, strongest, you know, most well-funded military, like behind you. And if something happens, like you're going to be protected. And I think when you get out of the military, you start to realize that that's not really there anymore. And that you have to then kind of cultivate your own community and your own like self-sovereignness and your own connection um, to something beyond that maybe you didn't even realize that you were getting from the military because everyone yeah. talks about, you know, the military is like very hard and it is, but the other sense, like you are super supported, like, you know, they provide housing, they provide medical care. Like if you don't show up, someone's looking for you, like all of these like things. And if also for readiness, it's like, Hey, who, they're like your mom, right? Like, Hey, did you get your teeth checked? Hey, did you like, yeah, it's true. get this done? Like, Oh, is your, you know, you get like, 
if you're going on Liberty or a pass, like they're going to check your car to see like, are your brakes okay? Like, you know, are your tire wheels right? Um, all of these things that you kind of take for granted. And then once you're in the mil- out of the military, you're like, oh, how do I actually adult when someone isn't there to one, provide a system that checks up on it. Um, but also like, I talked about the idea of like rebelling, right? Like, what do you rebel against when that is gone? And so I noticed that I was kind of like rebelling against myself, right? And then trying to like learn all these different behaviors and patterns that like were self-sabotaging and just, you know, like, I think the transition out of the military can be very hard. And especially for people that have medically retired, because you've got a whole other like paradigm of things to deal with. Um, But the great thing about it is I think that you have the opportunity like, right. Like as someone who got out because they had to, because the military was like, sorry, (laughs) no, thanks. Um, Part of the outboarding process was going through all the VA disability things. So all of those things were done for me. There was a checkup kind of like gates to, to have these procedures or to have these um, appointments done versus if you just get out of the military, then it's on you to like have the onus to make these appointments. So as hard as it is, it actually is beneficial for you in the long term because then you're out and you're actually set up, you know, you've, you've done all the things and then you've identified what the issues are. I know you talked about, you know, the, the, the military as being a community and it still is. And that's kind of why, you know, some of the veteran organizations that are veteran owned and run are so powerful. Can you talk about the jargon? That's a piece of it that just says that we, we understand each other. Another piece of it is that, you know, the stories around the campfire sometimes that say, yeah, yeah, I've been there too. And a lot of it is just a mindset. I, I find that the veterans that I speak to, um, we get along because we understand what it was like to be young and married and deployed, you know, we're like, yeah, I get it that that's hard. And, you know, I get what, you know, what, what it was like to, to be, you know, what felt like a million miles away from home at 20 years old and see nothing but sea around you and aircraft taken off 24 hours a day. And then being asked to respond to a plane crash, you know, and you're like, mm. there's just so much happening. And, drills that happen all day long and all that kind of stuff and you know the fire drills and poison drills and airplane crash drills and yeah we, we had one called the uh, i'm not going to say what it's called but basically it was a as a, a terrorist on board the ship drill you know and mm. oh and all these things that you do and to have that community is really important and so you i just know that you came back from a, an event recently that i would like to hear about with visionary veterans where it was about building community and learning earth skills and learning oh, about yeah. The um, just things that that are fun to learn about, but also create a sense of community. Can you talk a little bit about what you're doing with Visionary Veterans? And I know we have several events coming up, but also that Earth Skills Gathering, which sounds just fantastic. I wish I could have made it, but oh, well, there'll definitely be more. And um, also after that, I it was my very first Earth Skills as well. Um, caveat um, and learning that there's actually very similar events like that throughout. Um, at least the East Coast that I know of. And so I'm actually very interested to hear and learn about other earth skill like events happening throughout the country so that we can try to like, you know, have a plug for veterans that maybe can't make it all the way out to Florida. Um, But 
so for our skills is a, um, or I don't want to call it a retreat, but like a, an event in um, like North Florida that Veronica, the uh, other co-founder of Visionary Veterans, our mutual friend, she's been going to for like the past six or seven years. And she, you know, goes to a lot of different events and retreats and festivals. And she's always been telling me about her skills and how it's like her favorite one because she leaves feeling so empowered, right? And there's like this connection of nature. And when we actually um, got together, we showed up to the hostel in the forest for our last Visionary Veterans uh, retreat last November, a couple of days early to just, you know, touch base. And the very first night, Veronica and I stayed up, you know, way too late, just, you know, getting caught up and super excited and sharing our visions and, you know, what we feel like the paradigm is like. And I was telling her, you know, especially when I was doing some work in Navajo Nation, um, working with like, you know, indigenous folks that are just like, that land is so barren, you know, like it's beautiful, but it's, it's hard life. And, you know, we're working with these buckets and they, we, everything can be done by hand for these like water projects. But, you know, if you want to make it a little quicker, we use the drill bit, put it into a drill. And, you know, we did, we would make our holes for the filters that way, but our battery died and we had to just do it by hand. And I remember there was a bunch of us veterans making holes by hands. And then we had, we we're working through the John Hopkins center for um, American Indian health and they're working for maternal care. So a lot of these like um, locals also making the holes and they were like done so quickly. And I remember like I was doing, I was like, man, my fingers hurt. <laughs> I was like, this is kind of hard. And one of um, the guys with us was just like, yeah, they're just, they're built tougher out here. Like, you know, we're just kind of like soft. And I think that's, it's a funny thing. Cause you think like, you know, military veterans, like, you know, we're like, these warrior culture that like, we're so like, you know, tough, but like, actually, like, just, we've, we've kind of been coddled. And so oh, we live in a lot of comfort, for sure. Even so even much. in the military, like you, you may complain about the food, you may complain about the barracks, but let's just, for the most part, it has air conditioning, it has running water, it has, you know, yeah. places, I, I remember being in, in Bahrain, you know, in the in the, in the Persian Gulf, on this little base, a little marine base on Bahrain. And there was like pizza and there was a movie theater. <laughs> yeah. And I, here I am like off the coast of Saudi Arabia, just just south of Iraq and, and Kuwait in this place where we're playing, shooting pool and drinking beer. And we had lots of comforts, lots of lots of comforts where, so you know, many. living in the desert, which is something I'm very familiar with now, um, living in the desert, it, it does create some challenges, but we learned to to i always you say that i always say that we the transformation happens within discomfort and yes. and that is true for my life and for many others is when you're in a place of discomfort you just you figure it out you make it work you have less to complain about because you're so grateful for the little that you have and and i think that's a really important concept as, as we as we do that so i, I know that you were doing the Erstel's gathering which by the way is came from the hostel. That's something that, I mean, it was kind of cool. You know, we were at the hostel in the forest. Those who don't know, the Visionary Veterans does a retreat there and we're planning one uh, very soon. We'll be announcing that. Uh, but the, the the hostel in the forest is a place in Georgia and it is a permaculture um, swamp. <laughs> and <laughs> it is a permaculture swamp that has so much goodness and love. And I just, I love being part of the forest. It's fam. magical. 
it is a magical place that um you know used to be kept quite secret and now it's not as secret anymore but it used to be very much a secret where you had to know somebody to know somebody to get in and you had to kind of be invited and you had to pay your membership dues and now there's retreats that happen there so um yeah, kind, of a, so kind of a cool concept as we're preparing for the retreat i was talking to veronica about like you know different ideas for the way forward for different retreat um and gatherings and ways to com like create community and i was telling her you know just um like the coddling of the american mind and how like we've become like a little softer and how i really wanted to get something where we had tangible skills and these ideas of like permaculture and getting close to like the environment and just survival skills and all of these kinds of ideas. And she was like, that's earth skills. Mm -hmm. And so we we're like, how do we um, combine visionary veterans and earth skills? And she was like, Oh, I easily, I'll just call them and see if we can get a veterans camp started there. And so the idea was actually made from the hostile forest uh, that first night of that last retreat. And then, you know, a couple months later, we we're able to execute on that vision. I think it was like in February. And so yeah. we had our first um, first veterans trip out there. And it was great because it was all ladies and females. And so it was very empowering. You know, you get to like um, camp out. Um, there's like nightly fires and opening circles and like music. And it was just such a really cool intersection um, because you could have like, you know, Southerners, that you know we're just like you know the florida like um like kind of like hillbilly type of like idea that like people like you would think like would it really be into this but actually it makes sense because they're from that area or not calling people from that area hillbillies. no but i mean it's definitely um, there's like, definitely like a primitive like backwoods mentality in parts of florida that a lot of people don't understand they think of it as like disney and miami but really the northern part of florida is really Southern Georgia. Let's just be real. They just create the border yes, differently. Exactly. So it's Southern and Georgia, those who know the land, who like to be out in it, who, you know, are fishing farms. and yep. Yep. And it's, yeah. it's just, it's just different. And people don't think of Florida as that. They think of it as beaches and theme parks. And really a lot of it, at least for me, when I was living in Florida, my best times were spent not at the beaches or theme parks. They were spent at the Springs and in places mm. like the hostel in the forest. And that's really where I found the most joy while living there was in those spaces. So it, it's definitely a, ma a magical place that I hope never goes underwater, but. <laughs> 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 oh, but yeah, this idea that you could get, you know, like hippies and preppers and like <laughs> all of these different kinds of communities together that you wouldn't think would never typically want to be together, but everyone needs to learn how to like live off of the land and better more sustainable yeah. ways to do it so it was just super cool to see all these different intersections of like groups come together um and you know they had a men's camp there where it was like actually like men could just come and gather actually be able to talk about like their feelings mm -hmm. with one another we had a red tent there where women could come and like rest and like the first aid tent was like all like herbal use and yeah it was just really cool and i could see a lot of overlapping intersections with like the military survival like veteran kind of skills that we have gotten through the military or just are interested in like harnessing and developing further as we get out so that was that was one event which is amazing it's fantastic and i know that i mean there's there's some online courses that are happening on visionaryveterans.org now um and in addition to that a couple of retreats that are coming up you want to talk about those retreats and how people can yes. find them because i i can tell you that 
even after being out so long, you found it really quick and early for me when I, I, I got out of it in 2005 after 10 years and I didn't find the resources oh, wow. that I was looking for, you know? So mm-hmm. I went in in 1995, got out 2005 and um, visionary veterans is, is trying to create this alternative healing modalities and really accomplishing it, but in, in the way of retreats and in the way of community and the way of just, even, you know, monthly gatherings, talk about things, you know, just to get together. But I'd like to hear about some of the retreats you're doing. One of them, I guess we're, we're going to do with me, which is pretty cool out here yes. in Southern Utah. We can chat about that. But veterans, especially those who have been familiar with the VA, are used to receiving care from the VA. And mm-hmm. when you ha- and some of the resistance that we found is you, some of these events, they cost money to put on. Yes. <laughs> they, yes. they cost a little bit to put on. So I'm going to emphasize this for you and for the visionary veterans is you're certainly looking for people who want to donate, to give grants, who are interested in um, helping other veterans find these healing modalities through retreats and through uh, what we're calling it, you know, a ketamine retreat. Because as a ketamine therapist here in Utah, we need to bring people out. And it costs several thousand dollars per person to, to do mm-hmm. that. So those who are looking, you can reach out to the info at visionaryveterans.org. Is that correct? Is it info? Info at visionaryvets.org. Visionaryvets.org. Okay. So info at visionaryvets.org. If you're interested in that, that's a great place to go because we are certainly doing outreach now for grant writing and any veterans who want to get involved in this who have said, hey, you know, I'm interested in some of the things that are happening, but I don't think that I need to go overseas to get it. I think I can actually find it here in the United States doing the stuff with cool people who are doing earth skills gatherings and ketamine journeys and offering art retreats. Um, can you just briefly talk about some of the retreats that you have planned and maybe ways people can get involved or where they can look for all that information? Yes. So we have, um, two retreats planned for the fall of this year. Um, the first one being with you, in um, South Utah, right outside Zion. We are looking at the dates of 11 through 15 October, which we're super excited about. Um, Cause it's right around a new moon. And we know that area is great for like night sky viewing. So we wanted yeah. to make sure, <laughs> yeah, we could get like the darkest of the dark um, time periods as well. And um, you'll be providing the ketamine assisted therapy and breath work and Veronica will be there providing um, art integration space holding. Um, I won't actually be able to attend any of the fall retreats for us this year um, because my first child will be due um, right in the middle of both of those retreats. So not a lot of traveling um, for me. But yeah, we're really excited about this first ketamine retreat because one of the things that we want to be able to do with visionary veterans is to show like alternative um, treatment modalities outside of, you know, the VA and typical pharmaceuticals and things like that. And we really do believe in like the healing power of like psychedelics and plant medicine. But, um, you know, ketamine is the only thing that's FDA approved right now. So it's the only thing that we can do within the state's legally and to be able to go outside of the states uh there's actually a lot of really great veteran organizations that are already doing that they've helped me do that um and so like why try to recreate the wheel of other people doing that i also believe that you know what i love about you being able to provide this feature is that once again it's a veteran led thing it's not um you know another civilian or outsourced to 
somewhere else, but it's coming from someone who's been through all of it. And I think that that really is empowering to see like the full circle, right? And so one of the things we want to try to do as well is just try to find other veterans that have, you know, gone through their journeys and want to give back in some sort of capacity. So that's one of the things we're doing with our online classes. Um, We're very against the whole idea of like, as much as we know, everyone needs healing. um, This concept of like veterans as victims, as these like, you know, poor, broken soldier or, you know, service members isn't really a narrative that we want to continue to, um, you know, put out there. Like, yeah, you've gone through some things and it's really hard, but you have a community and we want to try to find a way to help empower them. Um, And so rather than just asking for donations, as we're always asking for donations, because these things, you know, we're a nonprofit and it helps. But we also want to be able to have like a win-win situation where we could provide a service service in return for um, a donation. So that's where the online classes come in. And so it's actually a platform for veterans to be able to give back, um, to showcase what they, you know, have learned and um, have, you know, greater distribution. Um, but if there's civilians that also want to help out with classes, you know, we could just take that as a, as a donation. Um, but for the veterans giving classes, we believe like in also financial empowerment as part of like a holistic healing uh, modality, because, you know, in this physical world, like you also need um, to be able to be like financially empowered. So if a veteran is wanting to donate a class, we were going to just split the course 50 50. Mm. So even like, and so when we talk about holistic um, classes, you know, not just about like healing modalities, but just like life skills, right? So if someone wants to like give a class about this is how you get your money, right? This is how you work on your resume or any of those kinds of things, you know, that's all part of a holistic um, process. So yeah, Another, I think, I think we figured there was like about, about a thousand dollars a veteran to come to a retreat. Isn't that what we kind of said about that? Um, yeah. And that's on the cheap end. <laughs> that's on the, yeah, that, that's on the low end. Yeah. yeah. So, so we would say that, you know, that's about what it is. Um, but it, you know, depending on where the location is, depending on travel, depending on how they're getting there, but about that is what it costs. So you can imagine if we're having a retreat of 20 veterans, what it, what it takes to put that on. And especially if they're traveling from all over the country and, um, you know, so definitely your support is needed. I think the best way to tune into that is, is the Instagram page for visionary veterans. I think that's probably the best way to get the, the most, uh, and fast information about what's going on, what's needed, what the agenda is, what the calendar is. And I know that I, that there's some pretty cool stuff happening on the, on the page there for visionary veterans on Instagram. And that's where I would say to go look, but you can also through there get on the newsletter, which is a month monthly newsletter. That yes. is, um, another really great of an Instagram social media Getting on the, on the newsletter through the Visionary Veterans uh, website, you can just kind of link in there and then you'll get added to the, the monthly newsletter. Oops. And then the second retreat we have planned is about a month later, um, set around Veterans Day, so 11-11. So the dates that we have to surround that would be the 9th to the 13th of November. And this will be back at the hostel in the forest. And once again, it's our holistic buffet <laughs> is one of the ways that we described it of um, just an introduction to all the different types of modalities available. So we're also looking for um, not only participants and sponsors, but if there is someone that, you know, has a, 
an offering that they're willing to um, share. Also looking for that as well. Um, once again, I won't be able to be there, but I know that you're going to take over the yoga as well as the breath work and the ice bath and Veronica will be there for the art integration and the yeah. sweat lodge, which is just, you know, one of my favorite parts of our, um, our retreats. So, yeah, I want to emphasize what you just said there. If anybody has anything they want to offer, I mean, it could be sound healing. It could be poetry. It could be, I like to cook. Anybody who is interested in being a part of, um, of that, of offering something, we are certainly open and welcoming all suggestions of ways that you think you could give back. Um, because we're, again, this is sort of in a way it's, it's earth skills. This is us teaching earth skills, but also mind skills, which is life skills, which is using this beautiful place called the hostel in the forest, which has been there for me in many, many ways. Um, and you get the chance to be a part of it all in this beautiful, you know, I think what, what 50 acres, I think is what they're at 54 acres, something like that now and near Brunswick, Georgia. So that's where that one will be in, in over veterans day, which I'm super stoked about. I think we need to, I would, I would love to bring in like a, a veterans, like, um, uh, like band, you know, the guys who play, like, uh, <laughs> yes. I would love, so one time we did, uh, we did, a an event there and all of a sudden these, these guys who were like poets and they had a DJ, they all of a sudden showed up and this wasn't for a veteran, but it was for another one. And we let them just play. They played in this little area we call the pool, you know, there's not a pool. Um, there used to be, so they played there and it would be really cool to have some live music. Um, you know, we, we do stuff by the fire, but it would be kind of cool to bring in. I know we've, we've had a few of them where we've had live uh, people who just show up. So magic happens in the forest. But yeah, if you're interested in being a part, uh, going to visionaryveterans.org is a good place to, to get started. So there's all kinds of things that can be done and offered. And Crystal, I'm really grateful that you took time today to, to chat with me and tell me a little bit of your story because We've done a few events together, but I've, I didn't know all your complete story. And it's good for us to get to know each other in that way, just as friends and, and also as uh, co-founders of this beautiful organization. So, um, you know, I think I, w I guess I won't be able to see you this year at any of these events. So this is a, my one time on Zoom here, but hopefully we'll have a, a few other little events. Uh, and then afterward, you'll have a little one, you know, maybe a little one in training <laughs> at, at the events. We'll see. So, oh, for sure. Definitely. Thank you so much for taking the time. And yeah, you know, I just, I think it's really important to share our stories so that people don't feel alone, but also the representation of knowing that like, not this like cookie cutter narrative of veterans, like doesn't exist. Like there's a bunch of like weird artistic, spiritual seekers, you know, entrepreneurial, like service oriented, like this, like idea of like a, like a, a Seva or like a Siva, like Sangha, right? Like these yeah. people that want to like give back and this like empowered sense of like really changing the narrative and like honoring something like sacred, because I've done lots of different veteran retreats and, been part of lots of different veteran organizations and I love them but what we're really trying to co-create here is something that doesn't exist yet you know um so to kind of find like the misfits and like <laughs> you know the the idea of let's let's make something special that everyone feels that they're all included so this visionary veterans isn't just for post 9-11 you know veterans isn't just for people with combat like you know on their DD 214s. It's 
for anyone that really like when we say warrior spirit, that's what we mean. Like someone who is willing to like raise their hand and say like, you know, send me, you know, and even that's outside of like veterans. Right. So we've had lots of like first responders. And I think that it's important that what we're trying to do with visionary veterans isn't just to help other veterans, but it's to create a platform and a narrative for it's the veterans that are providing the service. And I think that's what's really different yeah. about this. And so another plug is that Veronica and I, this is the one event that I will be able to attend. It's going to yeah. be next month in June. Um, we're going to be in Denver, Colorado. Super mm. excited to be part of the psychedelic science convention or conference. Um, we're going to be a community partner there. So we're going to have a booth up and we're just super excited to be one of you know, the veteran groups there, but also to kind of represent for like female veterans um, founded organizations and uh, yeah, hopefully make some really good connections there and see what we can help co-create and bring forward for the future as well. Are, are you going to have a table there or a booth or how is that working? Yes. At okay. So look for them. Yeah, the, I wish I could get there. Honestly, I'm going to be, I'm going to be at the divine assembly summer revival at that same time speaking and doing breath work. So if you can't get to, to Colorado up in Boulder, um to for the psychedelic science conference um you know if you're in utah then you can certainly come by and do breath work with me up in eden utah that same weekend but i think we're going to be looking at maybe doing the psychedelic si science conference also in la and maybe yeah, i can maybe i can make that one around. yeah if i can make that one i will um but definitely just come by and say hello get a sticker you know i know there's some really cool stickers that we're passing out you know as i was looking at the listeners won't be able to see this but you know up in the corner here can you see this right here I do. So I, I have a, I'm pointing to a, a sticker that's from the hostel in the forest and it says, may the forest be with you. And it's kind of a play on the star Wars theme, but you know, may the forest be with you kind of is more than more than the play on words. I think it's really the, something that spirit that we carry with us always. And once you've attended the forest, it's always kind of with you. It's like this shift that happens from having barefoot by the fire and everyone connecting over a gratitude circle and then maybe you, you've attended an event like a psychedelic science conference, or maybe you've been to Earth Stills Gathering, but the forest is kind of always with you, like kind of just being a veteran is always with you. And there's something that just can't be taken away. And I think that's the message I, I, I truly believe in is like, no matter how much I evolve as a human, as much as I evolve spiritually, I'm always, always, I started my journey as a veteran, you know, as a serviceman and then as a veteran. And that is always part of my story that I don't want to shake, even though I was, there was some shame, you know, in, in right, parts of it. Yes. And there mm -hmm. was some like unknowns and there was some heartbreak and there was all these different things, but it's still part of my journey. Even though we, we talked about it being this very loop-de-loo journey, journey um, it's still part of me. And that's where veterans can connect. It's in the, may the forest be with you. May, you know, may the deployment still be there. May the, the memories and the, the heartbreak and the emotions and joy all be part of that. And that's what we share at these events. And so um, hope to see you, you know, soon, Crystal. I don't know when that's going to be, but I hope to see you soon. I'm really grateful that we get to meet on this part of our journey. Likewise. And I'm sure there'll be plenty of more opportunities. Yeah, thanks for joining me today. All right. Thanks, Ryan. <laughs>